So beginning, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think the first thing that I notice to mention is Peter here, he isn't referencing himself by his former name, his pre-Christ name, but his, his new name given by Christ. Uh, he's not focusing on the old life per se, right? He's focused on the new life in Jesus. And likewise, we're called to focus on that, that we are new creations, right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5, you guys know this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he, he talks about, actually, I want to read down through the end of verse 21. It says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Speaking, being reconciled back to God through Christ, now as an apostle, someone who's sent out, been given that mission by God. He also has that, that ministry of reconciliation. He delivers that word. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I think it's in Colossians 2.19, it talks about the fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily, and Jesus being truly God, and yet truly man, dying in our place on the cross, um, he, reconciling the world back to God, rebridging re the gap. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, we, right, we, us, um, we have this ministry of being God's representatives, Christ's representatives, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Not only because this is the will of God, right, this is, um, this is what Christ came to do, but this also blesses God. This is, this is God's desire that we would be reconciled to him through the work of Christ. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, that is, the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You guys know Ephesians 2 says, You are saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he continues, For you are Christ, you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for good works, that he foreordained beforehand that you might walk in them. And that is the plea. This is be reconciled to God and then walk in these new works. Put off the old man, put on the new, right? And Peter here, he has this new name. He has this new new life in Christ. And in his second epistle, he will identify himself as Simon Peter. But here in this epistle, it's simply Peter, an apostle. It's this new identity. And you probably are aware um, the apostles, right? There's there's some debate over who are the true twelve. You re, you read in Revelation 21 that on the foundation stones in the New Jerusalem will be the names of the twelve apostles. Um, is it Matthias or is it Paul who is the twelfth? Um, I don't know. I'm just gonna throw in there that I think it's Matthias. But uh, did I did I just trip on my words? Matthias, what did I say? Matthias and Paul, right? That's what I meant to say. I don't, I'm not sure what I said, but I feel like I didn't say Paul. Anyway, you guys can check the tape. Is it Matthias or is it Paul, right? Um, who's the 12th? Anyway, Paul uh, identifies himself as an apostle born out of due time. And you do see 
in the book of Acts that Matthias was numbered with the 12. Also, it, there was some sort of uh, sanctified common sense being used by Peter and the apostles as they recognized, look, uh, we, we see in the scripture now that I think I'm going to turn to it because I might butcher it. But in Acts, it's Acts 1. Hopefully I can turn to it quickly. says, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Excuse me. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. So basically, it's setting the stage for Judas is no longer with them. He was numbered with the twelve, and it became known. It became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So the field is called there in their own language, Akel Dama, which is the field of blood. Um, so, just on apologetic note, you guys probably remember in the scripture that Judas went back to the uh, the religious leaders and said, "I betrayed innocent blood." They said, "What's that to us?" And he throws the money back into the temple. Of course, recognizing this is now blood money, it can't be put into the temple treasury, and they take it out and they buy the field. It's then, uh, because it was the money given to Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, it was then given him. He was the one um, who was given credit for buying the field. Just in case you think the scripture says two different things, this was commonly understood in the, in the culture. But in verse 20 says, For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it and let another take his office. Therefore, these men who have accompanied us all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was named Justice, and Matthias. So anyway, um, the point I was making there was, wasn't so much that I suppose I'm not... I don't, I've heard some say that they think the 11 were kind of presumptuous or misguided and not waiting for the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Holy Spirit to fall on the day of Pentecost, like Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8. But rather, I do think that they use the scripture to guide their, their common sense, the common sense that they had. It was, uh, they were in prayer, they were together. We see them constantly together in the apostles' doctrine breaking bread and praying, right? So uh, there was that uh, element of sanctified common sense being used in choosing this apostle. But apostles also used in another way in the scripture, and it can be simply used for one who is sent out, simply sent, right? Like a missionary could be referred to as an apostle. They're not going to have the same level of authority as the ones who were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, right from his baptism all the way through to his ascension, of course, witnessing the miracles, the crucifixion, being eyewitnesses to the resurrection, and the 40 days he does ministry afterward. They're not going to have that same ministry, but the same word would sometimes be applied to them, apostle, uh, one that is sent. Now, I'm saying this because maybe some of you know or are aware of uh, something that is happening um, in our day, the the New Apostolic Reformation, where there are these churches that claim that they are 
they're the they're the new apostles, right, of this age. And sometimes, oftentimes, very weird things happen in these churches. Um, like pressing up against the wall as hard as you can to activate the gift of the Holy Spirit, or laying on a deceased saint's grave to soak up the remainder of the uh, the anointing of the Spirit that was on their life, or, or things like that. Um, witnessing the, uh, the Shekinah, right, the glory cloud, is referred to sometimes as, in certain circles as the glory cloud. They're seeing the Shekinah, right, of God, and um, it manifesting in them being able to to see as the glitter falls to the ground. Okay, I'm saying all these, they sound weird because it truly is weird. Um, and a lot of the time they'll they'll introduce these new doctrines and it's a lot of chasing these signs and wonders. One of the things that these men and women and this what's referred to as NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, they can't possibly meet as being with Christ, right? There's no way that these new apostles um, that bear this authority that the twelve have, that claim to bear this authority that the twelve have, um, is that they have they weren't with Christ at the beginning of his ministry to his ascension, and uh, a lot of the time they'll try to control your life, right? It's sometimes referred to as the shepherding movement, and it that's kind of a, a gracious title or term for it, where they want you to come to them for advice on what truck you should buy or who you should marry, right? They're, they they want to be your matchmaker. All that to say, um, with with apostles, they didn't bring, they didn't make up new teachings. They brought the teaching of Christ to a new area. That's what they did. You have Paul writing the Galatians, right? He's he's shocked that they had turned away so fast from the gospel of the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And in that, and he says in verse 6 of Galatians 1, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the gospel of the called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You're turning away from God. You're rejecting God. You're accepting this, and of course it's a worse gospel. But when you get down to verse 8, he says, if we or an angel from heaven, or even an angel, right, preach any other gospel to you than that what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let that person be accursed. At this point in time, the word of God has more authority than even the apostles do, right? They brought the teaching, but it is the word of God that has the authority. They have the authority as they bring Christ's teaching. As, as, it, as it reaches a new group or as they correct uh, an understanding at an established church. So it's not the men who carry the authority. It's the word of God. They might be a teacher, right? They might be a shepherd over the flock and they care for the flock, but it's the word of God that brings that has the authority. They don't make new, new doctrine. They deliver teaching. This hasn't changed, right? It's um, Moses going up on the mountain and bringing back to the people. The word of God. It's not that it's not that Moses, right, in Exodus had the authority. It's that God chose Moses and he met with Moses and he gave him his word. He gave him his law. He met with him and it was it was God's law. You guys probably I say that a lot when I teach. I know you guys are a well a taught group of people. Isaiah 40, verse 8, right? Contrast with humans who fade and, and vanish away, just like the grass of the earth. It says uh, the, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will by no means pass away. Um, the power of the word. Remember Paul, when he's meeting with the Ephesian elders on the, the shore of Miletus, he's telling them, I haven't shunned to declare to you any, I'm, I'm saying the King James, that's what I learned it in, but I haven't shunned to declare unto you and, um, and any of the whole counsel of God. Let me read it. 20 verse 27. I have not, oh, it's New King James too. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And then listen to this. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purified and purchased with his own blood. Knowing, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you to devour, will come among you, not sparing the flock. Where is the verse? Oh, verse 32. He says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those of you who are sanctified. Give you an inheritance. Remember the inheritance in heaven? Uh, and he also references it here in the, in the first chapter of First uh, Peter. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. Right. This is this is what the word of God is able to do in your life. Jesus says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Um, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the soul and the spirit. Uh, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Right. He says the, the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. Oh, look at that. She's on it. And it is, a, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Second uh, Timothy 3.16. I'm jumping all over the place. I unfortunately don't have all these tabbed. But is it second or is it first? Oh, I was in four. I was in four sixteen. She probably has it up there. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And just a message to the ladies, right? When scripture talks about men, boys, it says men, right? When scripture talks about women, girls, it talks it says women. When scripture talks about men and women, it says man. The man of God, because we fall, we all fall under that umbrella of mankind. So, of course, this is talking about women also uh, in verse 17, if you want to change it to the next verse. But I'll, re I'll read it again, that the man of God, or of course the woman, may be a complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is, this is the power of the word of God in our life, right? Uh, Tom, talking often about just wanting to do this deep dive into Psalm 119, talking about the power of God's word and his law. And that it's able to refine us, right? Um, in, in Psalm 19, the psalmist says uh, the, the law of God, right? The things that God dictates with his mouth that comes forth from him. The law of God is perfect, able even to uh, able to convert the soul. This is, we, we commit ourselves to the word of God. So we don't follow after men that desire to draw attention to themselves, but rather we Yes, we'll have leaders or elders or uh, deacons even inside of a church who constantly, like Paul on the shore of Miletus, are pushing people 
I, I urge you to continue in the word of his grace, right, that you might be sanctified and you gain an inheritance. So continuing, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bith- Bithynia. So pilgrims, people are on a journey, right? They're temporary residents of the land they're now dwelling in. We're, we're pilgrims. We're, this isn't, this, we might have a home around here. Alexis and I bought our first home in 2019. Um, and I say bought, you know, we don't actually own it. We probably own about a tenth of it. And the bank owns the rest of it. And I just pay them a lot every month to live there. Um, I did the math out, you know, it was terrible. Like after 30 years, they're like, just pay double on it every month. I'm like, yeah, because I have that. Anyway, back to the text. Fortunately, I'm a pilgrim, right? That might be our first home, but it's not my last home, right? It's not our last home. This might be my first body. And when I was in high school, I basically worshiped it. And now I'm sitting here because I have bad knees. I'm fortunate it's not my last body. And of course, we're living under the U.S. government. I don't know how many of us have lived in other countries in the world, but fortunately, we're not going to live under the U.S. government forever. It's not the last government we're going to live under. We are pilgrims. We're passing through, and uh, that's we can praise God for that. We can. Uh, we always have a reason to be hopeful as pilgrims, right? Knowing where our home is, uh, we can be realists. But the more we, you know, sometimes people who are pessimistic, they're like, "Well, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist." But if you believe the word of God, I mean, you can read the word of God. And even if you're a realist, you can still be an optimist. Like, what what do you have not to be optimistic about? Read, uh, I'm jumping again, Romans. That's beautiful. Romans chapter 8 is such a beautiful passage. But listen to this. It says, what then shall we say to these things, right? About all these things that we suffer, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate from us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, we're we're greater than conquerors. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I mean, we ought to be humble. We ought to be humble. But you can be ridiculously confident, right? I mean, the promise of life in Jesus and the fact that our eyes aren't to be set on, on this life I think it's Colossians 3 says, uh, therefore, if we are raised with Christ. We must, we ought to set our eyes on heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Don't set your mind on the earth. That might be Philippians. But anyway, it's in the New Testament, and I'm certain Paul wrote it. Um, don't set your eyes on the earth. Set your eyes on heavenly things, right? Actually, I think he says it. He 
says something similar in Philippians 3. That's why I'm getting confused. But it is the beginning of Colossians 3. So we're pilgrims. And then of the dispersion, right? The dispersion being that persecution at this time, uh, when, when Paul's writing this, is, is ramped up, Paul. Peter, Peter, I'm going to do that, right? When, when Peter's writing this, it's ramped up, right? Uh, Roman persecution. You think of as much of uh, the persecution that was coming from the religious elite in Judaism within Rome. Nero um, blames the fire, right? Nero starts a fire, and he blames it on the Christians. Nero's also mislabeling Christians. Um, yeah, he fans the flame of hatred for the Christians by... Uh, perpetuating the myth that they're cannibals because they tar they partake in, in the Eucharist, right, which is a remembrance of the shed body and blood of Christ. But he's saying, look, they eat this. They, they eat the body of their masters, a misrepresentation of what we have in the Lord's Supper. But also in this, there the, as the persecution heightens, right, as there's more reason to hate the Christians, not only from the Jews, but also from the Romans, that because of, of Nero's, uh, because of the rumors being spread by the, the emperor by Caesar by Caesar Nero, um, the the people the people there's a there's a dispersion, right? It, it reminds them. Look, I mean, quite literally, you're a pilgrim. You're you're not even in your homeland at the moment. You're being you're being sent out. He references these five places in Asia Minor, but you guys, I say, see, I did it again. I'm certain you do remember in Acts after the stoning of Stephen and uh, the the persecution uh, ramps up from there, and and Saul's given the letters to hunt the Christians down and kill them. Well, even at that time, you read about how the gospel message spread. So, uh, persecution backfires when when Christians are unwilling to compromise, and that's what happens. You see it often with these pilgrims, and that's how we ought to function, right? With a hope as great as the hope that we have, and uh, the certainty that Christ has bought it. God has demonstrated his love for us that while we were still at enmity with God, Jesus Christ died for us, right? He's demonstrated. We don't have to question whether or not God loves us. We don't have to question whether or not he's for us. He's demonstrated that he's for us. He's demonstrated that he loves us. And therefore, as we're pilgrims passing, we can continue to be bold, right? But it's got to be a daily thing. You got to cultivate it yourself. Right. It's got to be Proverbs eight. Speaking of wisdom, I love them that love me and them who seek me early. Uh, those, they shall find me. And you read in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. Those who seek me with their whole heart shall find me. Right. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you keep my commandments, I will come uh, to you and make my home with you. And so will the father. We also have the promise that when he departs, he'll send the comforter to us to comfort us, and he'll lead us in all wisdom. And you don't have to be worried about the things you're going to say when you're delivered up to uh, to the religious elite, to the judges, right, to to be questioned, to be stoned, because in that very hour, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to speak. But this is something you, you've got to make this the rule of your life. This is, this is something that you seek first, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, because all these things are fading away. All of these things, you, you can't cling to them because the government can rip them right out of your hand if they want to, right? And we're, we're called to be bold, and the way we do that is we set our eyes on Christ. We set our eyes on heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, 
And as these pilgrims in the dispersion, you see them, you see them fanning out, right? But also Christian, the Christian faith follows this world. Um, it might be our first home, but it's not our last. So we also were pilgrims, also called elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Now there's a massive debate about the term elect. Um, but one thing that is nice to know is you are elect in God, right? God did choose you. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God, and I don't know how many Calvinists are in this room, and if you're a Calvinist in that room, I'm fine with that. I have no Calvinists for my brothers. I am not a Calvinist, but um, and I have reasons, but I, I, I am comforted by the fact that I am, in fact, chosen by God. I, I'm, I'm comforted by the fact that God knows me. He knows me intimately. He knows everything about me. You read in Psalm 40 that the, that the thoughts that he has toward us, they can't even be numbered. Right? You read in uh, Psalm 139:16, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. God's got this all figured out. He's had it all figured out since eternity past. Okay? So I, I, I take comfort in that. Um, I, there are, I don't even know if I care to get into the, the Calvinism debate. Um, but in this, you know, there are, I'm just going to touch it a little bit. I hope I'm not ruffling any feathers. Okay. I'm just going to say, uh, I think I'm trying, I don't want to offend anyone. I don't, I'm, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I'm going to give my understanding of what I think a lot of the issues about when it comes to Calvinism. It seems to me that the Calvinists would assume that if God chose you, you have nothing to do with the choosing also, right? I firmly, I, I agree God chose us. But I also read things in like Psalm, excuse me, Acts 17. Paul is at the Areopagus and he's preaching and, and um, he says, Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now God commands all men everywhere to repent. He, he commands men to repent. There is this, I don't believe, right? You, you see Moses saying things like the commandments are not too far from you that you can't do them. Like you can't do these things when he's giving the law to these people. In, in Calvin's first book of the Institutes of Christian Religion, here I go. I said I wasn't going to get too much into it. I'm going to a little bit. He says in both chapters 16 and 17 that, and I'm paraphrasing, but there's multiple, multiple paragraphs in there, that he believes everything has been decreed by God before anything has come to pass. What you will do, what you won't do. So Calvinism, when it comes down to it, um, Doug Wilson, who is a well-known Calvinist, is very forthright about this, and I appreciate that. Um, he says, yes, God is in fact the author of evil. And some Calvinists say that he's not. Man, I'm really getting into this. But um, my, my contention is that God is calling them, right? Remember uh, Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve, right? Whether 
Yahweh, right, or the gods that your fathers worshipped on the other side of the Euphrates. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? There seems to be a call, like choose who you're going to serve. And it seems rather disingenuous to me if God is inspiring Joshua to say this, but yet God has decreed every decision that you're ever going to make. Um, yeah. Gosh, I... I love my Calvinist brothers. I do. I actually did Cal. I did. I did evangelism with a Calvinist last Sunday night, and it wasn't Tom because Tom's not a Calvinist, but Tom was there. Anyway, I do. I do love them, but I feel like I can't just pass over election according to foreknowledge. So anyway, it doesn't. It doesn't talk about the full scope of everything that's foreknown by God right here in this passage. But uh, you know, it does tell us in Acts 15 that God foreknew all of His works. From eternity past, like he he knows all of them. I think that's a beautiful thing. And we're gonna move forward. We're not gonna talk about this anymore. But uh, we're we're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the Father, God the Father, right? Remember how much that offended the Jews, John five, when Jesus called God his Father, and uh, the the disciples asked Jesus, "Teach us how to pray." How ought we pray? And he begins with our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, the Lord's prayer or, or the disciples' prayer. The, 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 the prayer given by the Lord to his disciples. Begin with this. Pray When you pray, pray like this, in this manner. Our Father. Recognizing God is your Father, right? If you are in Christ. It says in Galatians um, 4, 6, and um, and because you are God's sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Look at that. I love it. Um, no, I didn't give her any notes. I, I literally just finished putting this together at like 5.59. So. Um, but here's the thing. Like God's spirit, we have, we have communion with God. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, right, which is in some place called the Spirit of God or, or the Holy Spirit um, or the Spirit of Christ, um, it's it's all the same, right? He he make he he cries out. We have intercession. It's a it's a deep intimate relationship, and he cry, he makes intercession with our spirit. We cry out to God, Abba, Father. It's that uh, it's this relational this new relational thing that we receive, this Our Father. It says, and in sanctification of the Spirit. In Luke 11, it continues, right? If uh, if your son asks you for, a, for bread, who of you are going to give him a stone, right? Or if your son asks you for an egg, who's going to give him a serpent um, or, or fish? If your son asks for fish, who's going to give him a serpent? If your son asks for an egg, who's going to give you a, a scorpion? Well, if you then, being evil, Know how to give good give good gifts to your sons. How much more will the the heavenly father? How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Right. I hope I'm quoting that all right. So the point is, when you you can cry out to God for His Holy Spirit, in in humble faith, for the sinner who's recognized his depravity and trusts in Jesus, his identities in Jesus, God is going to give you His Holy Spirit. He's that you have Jesus Christ's word. 
So our Father in sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit, he, his role, right, to sanctify us for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? It, we, we read in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that we've been given grace for obedience. So the Spirit brings to us grace, and in this fellowship we have with God, he sanctifies us. We can, cry, we can ask God, like, listen, guys, I mean, I know you're all dealing with sin. I don't know what sin you're dealing with, but you can confess that, right? And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You have that. As God is your Father, you can come to him and you can, you can make petitions before him at his throne of mercy and grace. You can receive grace to help in time of need. And it's also for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And of course, this is an allusion back to the Old Testament because we weren't sprinkled with Jesus's blood and neither were these the recipients of this letter. But in speaking of the, uh, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were often sprinkled on the, uh, the participants um, who brought the sacrifices. You even read in Exodus 23 and 24 when Moses comes down off the mountain and he makes that covenant. He actually he sprinkles the Israelites with the blood of the sacrifice that he sacrificed. And there's two million people. That's a lot of blood. I'm, obviously, I'm joking. It wasn't everybody. But uh, they all did. They partook together uh, corporately. So, um, and again, this is a, it was one of these things where you learn that Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. You have types in the Old Testament, and you have Jesus who is the antitype, right? Or you have shadows, and you have Jesus who is the substance. It's like Jesus. Yeah, I'm trying. I don't know how I do this, but let's just imagine this is New Testament, right? You have Jesus over here standing in the New Testament, casting his shadow over here on the Old Testament, and then you see, right? You read all these things, and you understand some of these things about the Messiah, and, and then when you see it in Jesus, you, you say, "Oh, that's what that's all about." Right, you see, as it, it just you get more clarity as it as it comes together, and and here even in this, um, the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, and we'll hopefully if we get to it, we'll touch on that topic of types and any types and and uh, shadows, again. But here in verse three, Peter goes, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope." through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He begins with, blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This reminds me of doing like evangelism. So last last Sunday, um, I was invited, and I therefore invited you guys to go do evangelism at the waterfront in Bangor. Uh, there was supposed to be a concert there, and I assumed I was going to go evangelize concert goers. Um, showed up at the waterfront in Bangor and I found out that there's a massive drug problem in Bangor and there are people lying around the waterfront um, with first aid kits and boxes of hypodermic needles. And I don't know how many of them had their drugs on them, but it seemed like all they needed to do at that point was find a dealer to get these drugs. Anyway, a lot of these people are disillusioned and a lot of them aren't. But um, as as we're having conversation with people and we're talking not only about the promise that God made about his Messiah, about his Messiah and and put this the stamp the, the marking so that who you can know who how you can know who he is the who the where the what the when the why right these things talking about them but then also talking about like practically what this what this results in 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 life in real life right 
And I, I hear Tom, and I hear the other guy we went with named Oliver. Um, and the first guy we talked to, his name was Tom. So we had two Toms and two Olivers involved in this conversation. But um, I'm just, I mean, he's like, He's like, I, I hear that, you know, my, my ex-wife experienced, she told me she experienced something like this, what we're talking about. She's like, five years ago, she's pursuing God and she has this experience. She said she has this experience with Jesus and he's just overwhelms her with his presence. And then she just found her whole life just at that point wrapped up in trying to pursue him. And as she does, she gains this peace. And I'm like, yes, that's what this is. You know, you had, we're talking to this guy, Tom, you had this life. You had this job that you held down for seven years. You had this, you had a wife, right? Who I'm assuming you loved, right? That you were attracted to. You had a house, you had a car. Here you, here you are, you have nothing because what you found, and I, I got to be very forthright with him, was even with all that, you lacked satisfaction. You turned to meth, or it was meth or heroin. He turned to something. And what that did is, is it was a deceitful lust that robbed him of life. But it destroyed what he had. And I said, listen, um, I kind of want to turn, just to put this in, you know, the power of the scripture. Talking about the new man and the old man, just real quick, I'm going to get back to that. Hopefully I'm going to wrap this up well. But Paul in Ephesians says, I say this, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not, so, you have not learned so in Christ. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. He goes on, right? Because there's this, there's this battle right? For the new believer, the new creation. She found it. I didn't even mention the verse. She's good. Um, so there's a battle between this new life and this old life. You got to put off the old life and put on the new. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. Listen, guys, you get to it. This man, Tom, he got to this place where he needed to use drugs in order to feel good, right? And then the farther he got into it, he feels like crap all the time and he just needs to use drugs to feel normal, okay? Deceitful lust, you, the liar. He, he lies to save face, but what does he do? He actually completely destroys his credibility, right? It's a deceitful lust. You, you, people will do... Unfortunate things like sleep around because they're desperate for an intimate relationship. And what they end up doing is they dis they ruin every relationship they enter because there's there's no purity in their in their sexual life. And the thing that should mean the most to them, Paul says that's that sexual sin is the worst kind of sin because it's a sin against your own body. Right. And some of these people, they want to feel intimacy. So they sleep around and they ruin every it's it's deceitful lust. They ruin every relationship they have. And so. It's, I'm talking to this guy. I'm telling this guy, right? Like, listen, and I'm just going to bear my soul. No, actually, maybe I won't get that, that forth, right? The sin that crippled me before I came to Jesus, Jesus has given me complete freedom over. 
complete victory. It's like I all this this comes back to blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because he could have just said, Our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the abundant mercy, he has begotten us again. But what he starts with this adoration, this praise. He blesses God as he as he brings this up. And the reason I bring that up is because a lot of us, a lot of the time, when you just start witnessing about what God has done in your life, you just gush up and you overflow, right? You realize, oh my goodness, the cup I had, it runs over. And all I want to do is I want to tell you about it, right? This this relationship I have with God, this the, the way that God has, that Christ has reconciled me to God and, and made me alive, like Paul talks about in Romans 6, it just, it bubbles up, it overflows. Jesus stands up on the, 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 uh, the great day of the feast, right, in John 7, and he says, um, if any of you thirst, come to me, and from your heart will flow torrents of living water, right? This is, this is that, I imagine this, this bubbling up, this overflowing, and it's, it's, it's the same, like, yes, this is who Jesus is. This is how God, this father, put his stamp of approval on him. And this is what he does. Like if I can only, if I could tell you, if I could tell you about the freedom he's given me. J Jesus says in um, John 8, anyone who sins is a slave of sin. And a, sin and a slave doesn't abide in the house forever. But a son does. Therefore, if the son has set you free, the son. The Son has set you free. You are free indeed. How can that not just cause you to burst forth in praise, right? And if and if we're not experiencing that, what we ought to do is we ought to throw off the things that so easily ensnare us. Jesus says, don't get for yourselves money bags on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather get yourselves money bags in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. Right? This is, we ought to focus our mind on heavenly things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, his mercy has begotten us again. And this is John 3 language, right? Unless you've been born again, you will not see, you will not even see the kingdom of God. He repeats it in his conversation with Nicodemus. Um, speaking that uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's just he he's confused, right? He's confused about how can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And he's saying, "Are you the teacher of all Israel and you don't understand these things?" But this is this is the this is the new life that comes from God. But according to His abundant mercy, He has mercy has begotten us again. So being born again, let's talk about that. Being born again is not a religious ritual. It's not. So repentance is a change of the mind, right? A change of the mind about sin, acknowledging that God is righteous and true and his, his um, attitude towards sin is true and you change your mind toward sinful pursuits and you turn instead from your sin and you turn toward Jesus. But being born again is not a change of attitude. It's not a change in the way you act. It's not being baptized, right? Born again is something that something that God Himself does in the life of a believer. In First John chapter five verse one says, "Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot 
also loves him who is begotten of him. So not only does your, your, your humble faith that throws yourself on Jesus as the Christ cause you to be born again, but it causes love to be stirred up in your heart. This is something that God does. He not only causes you to be born again, but he causes you to love and to love the way God does. In John chapter 1, verse 12, speaking of the light who's come into the world, he came to his own, but his own didn't know him. It says, but as many received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born, again, born again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of, but of God, born of God. Um, I have some other... John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or, and where it goes. So it is everyone who's born of the spirit, right? The spirit does what he wants. The spirit give li gives life to, you don't know how it works. This is, this is an act of God, God's spirit. Second uh, Corinthians, we've already, I think we, nope. Second Corinthians five sixteen. therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to, to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. So it's we don't we don't judge anyone according to the fleshly nature, the old life, right? We we knew Jesus according to the flesh. We now recognize, we, we see him in his glory, we understand what who he is, but we understand for who he is, and and now we don't esteem people according to the flesh. We we recognize them according to the new life that is in God. This is this is a life that God has accomplished. And again, Galatians 4, 6, I quoted it earlier. And because you are his sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, cry, crying out, Abba, Father. Romans 8, 18 says, The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is That's a personal testimony, right? There's more to the Christian life than just the witness of the Spirit in the heart. There's more to the evidence for the Christian faith than the witness of the Spirit in the believer's heart. But surely that is a witness to you, that you know some, you are new. Something has changed. The, the man that I was is dead and it's gone. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, it's Jesus Christ. He's living through us. We've been, been born again, and he says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the dead. There is so much. It's funny. It's funny how we're 2,000 years removed from the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and yet it's the, the proof of the resurrection is so grounded in history that the most reasonable explanation is that Jesus Christ, in fact, raised from the dead, right? And it's all, it talks, and I don't, I don't really have time to go through all of it. I've done it before. Um, just the five minimal facts. I'll list them. Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It's, it's, it's agreed upon. These things are agreed upon by the vast majority of historians. The tomb was found empty, Okay. And, of course, there was a Roman guard set over it. It was sealed, right? And there was a Roman guard set, open, set over it. And the tomb was found empty. 
women were the first ones to testify about the empty tomb. And you might think that's nothing. And of course, there is no there's there's equality within Christ. That is that is that is a distinctly Christian thing, the equality between men and women. But at the time, uh, a woman's witness would be devalued. You'd be devaluing your story if you use women. And at the time, it might have devalued the story. But now, to historians, they recognize that it actually gives credence to the story. Because why would you make that up? You, you'd rather make, oh, well, it was Peter. It was Peter who found it. It was John, right? But no, it was, it was actually women who first found it. And the apostles were honest. They, they disbelieved, right? We have the whole doubting Thomas, right? But it was... They doubted till they saw Jesus the same way Thomas did. So that's kind of unfair. That's so that's three. Okay, the independent eyewitnesses. There were there were dozens of accounts written by people who saw Jesus risen from the dead, and not only that, but they suffered violence for their testimony. A lot of them martyred them, um, and finally the the opponents and even enemies of Jesus converted. So we have two of Jesus's brothers converting to the faith, who doubted him early on in his ministry. And also we have Saul of Tarsus, right? Killing or given, he, he's he's approving of the killing of Christians, and he's also receiving letters from, uh, from the Sanhedrin, from the high courts, to be able to make either Christians blaspheme the name of Jesus or be put to death. All of these things, I said I didn't have time, but hopefully I summed them up quick. These things point to a resurrection, but also it's a living hope. Guys, as the world's passing away, people recognize it. One of the most depressing things I ever heard was uh, listening to a woman who was 105 years old. I listened to her, um, her to an interview she was having, and I hope she was a Christian. But one of the things she said that was depressing about living to 105 is that everybody she knew, including their children, were dead. And it was just the grandkids of the people that she knew were now elderly, right? And of course, she's saying, I hope I die before they start dying. And how weird is it? Like everyone wants to live to be old, right? But then you get to be 105. And it's like all of your friends are dead and most of their children. And that's depressing. It's the world is it's passing away, but we have a living hope. Hebrews 11 says, speaking of the hall of faith, right? These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off. They were assured of them. This is in verse 13. Embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This living hope that we have is, is similar to what these, these, these saints who died in faith, not yet seeing the fulfillment of the promises, but having confidence, going to the grave, with the hope that what God said he would do, he would accomplish in the future, right? It's, guys, the gospel, the, the future hope, it's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's on this earth. Surely, in Christ, at the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore, right? At God's right hand. Set your mind on heavenly things. 
Yes, with Christ, eventually you'll have a new body. This, this lowly body will be conformed into his glorious body, but our hope is not in this life. And, and unfortunately, it seems that some people, the longer they live in this life, the more they're, they're tempted to put their faith in it. But these people, it's not so. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he's alive, so our, our hope can be alive. Our hope. We have that hope. So he continues in verse 4. Well, I'll, I'll read it um, back from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, according to his abundant mercy, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. Right? It doesn't. It doesn't die. There's no. There's no end to this inheritance. It's. It's not perishing, and it's undefiled. It's pure from the sin. From the stain of sin. Right? And, and defilement. It's. It's pure, and it doesn't fade away. Reserved in heaven, for for you. So this is this is reserved, right? The inher the inheritance is kept, and and then it says, "Who you being who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time." So the inheritance is kept; it's reserved in heaven, and we are kept. We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. It's it's the faith that endures at last. It's it's that faith saves the faith. That last is, the, is also the faith that saves. So in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So trials. We all love trials. It says, we greatly rejoice in trials. But listen, he also says, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. So there is, these things don't have to, you, you can rejoice although you grieve. And it's because you have a living hope. Um, there are certainly, you know some, born again believers who are on a trajectory for heaven but are completely, at times, completely undone because of the rough waters of life, right? It, they're, they're complete, sometimes they even question their own salvation, whether or not they're in the will of God or, or if they actually have a faith that saves. But even born-again believers, they can wrestle with this. This is why I say get more into the Word, right? Read about God's promises even when you're struggling and, and see just how sure those promises are. But uh, as you set, as we set our sights, if, if we are to set our sights on temporal things, it'll cause us to stress. Jesus said, you know, the moth, the rust is going to destroy. The thieves can break in and steal. We heard this message from Pastor Sandy Adams at a pastor's conference a week or two ago, talking about having, he said, a single judge, a simple job, can't remember. It was a single judge, simple job, and it started with S. A something joy. Do you remember what it was? Yeah. So you have a single judge. You have one judge. You have a simple job, and you have S. Joy. I can't remember what the S is. But um, he was the the beautiful thing that he talked about is in that parable where God talks about uh, where Jesus talks about the talents being given. 
one gets five, um, he invests or or he, he takes the talents, he gets five more. One gets two, he takes the talents, he gets two more. Uh, one gets one, and you know he he just buries it in the ground because he's scared of his master and his character. He doesn't know what he's like, and so uh, he doesn't do anything with it. But he said, I want to focus on the first two, right? They take the talents and they invest. And the thing that he says is, uh, you, you guys, there I go again. You guys probably know. I just know you're well-read. Well done, good and faithful servant. You who have been faithful with a few things, um, I'm going to turn to it. I think he says, you'll be ruler over many, right? You who have been faithful with a few will be ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Goodness, she's good. So you who are faithful of, with a few things, you'll be, you'll be the ruler over many. And, and, and Sandy made this point, right? Faithful over a few things. A lot of us, and when I first came to Christianity, I thought I had to win the world. I seriously did. Like I, you know, you always want to have a praise for God and your testimony on your tongue. And I wanted to convince everybody I knew that Jesus was Lord and that he died for our sins and that he created everything, right? And that you ought to bow down and worship before him. I also, I was convinced I was going to die the worst martyr's death. I was just like, I, I'm just going to do it. And I don't want to now. I'll, you know, like Joe Foch has said, I'd rather die in bed at home with my family singing Kumbaya around me. But um, he says, listen, he says, you have been faithful over a few things. He's given us a few things to do. Let that console your heart. You have a simple job. He says, you have, you have a single judge. Hey, gosh, I wish I had my notebook. Single judge, simple job, spiritual joy. Thank you. Yes, there you go. So I told you it started with an F. Of course it did. You know that. Um, faithful over a few things. You're not called to win the world for Jesus. You're called to be faithful over a few things. And then he says, listen, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your the, your Lord. And And I had so much more I wanted to teach on. But Sandy... Cindy said, listen, your reward is going to be the authority you rule with next to Jesus and also the capacity in which you're able to enjoy his presence, right? The authority you receive, rule over many things, and the capacity to which you're able to enjoy his presence. I love that. Guys, as you go through trials in life, you know, you're always, you do everything you do as unto the Lord, right? But Oh, I don't want, oh, it's so hard, right? But that person, you think about it. Sandy said it would be miserable to get to heaven and be drinking from the waters of life from a shot glass. He said, don't get me wrong. When you get there, you're not going to be let down. So maybe he didn't quite say it that way. You don't want to get to heaven and be drinking from the waters of life from a shot glass. He said, you're not going to be let down. He said, because the measure to which you're able to enjoy God, you'll experience. He's like, but if you're only a shot glass, he said, Sandy said, I want to be a 55-gallon drum. And I'm literally sitting there like, dude, I want to be in an Olympic swimming pool. Like, I, I just want to be able to enjoy God's presence. So, I mean, think like I want to be the Pacific Ocean, right? Like, you just want everything you do to be unto the Lord. So that as you're laying your will down to glorify God, you grow in your capacity to be able to enjoy God. Not only now, because Jesus said, don't think that anyone who's left land or mother and brother, father, for my sake, 
right, isn't going to receive a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. You'll experience the ability to enjoy God now as in your trials you learn to submit everything to him, bring everything into the obedience of Christ. But then when you get you get to that place where he says, he looks at you and he says, well done, right? You have, so it's weird. Um, neither of my dads stuck around. But I can remember looking, you know, so I want to relate this to a dad thing. But, so I'll, I guess I'll put it this way. My boy John was riding his bike down, uh, if you've seen my house, we have a slight slope to our driveway. And he's just riding it down without his, without his uh, training wheels. And every time he gets to the bottom, he literally stops and he pushes the bike back to the top. And I had to be a little stern with him and I said, you're not allowed to do that again or you're going inside. Because I knew, he's a strong kid, I knew he could bike back up the other way. And... Um, and I and I and he's like he rides down again and he, he gets and I said I'm 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 not kidding you're done you're going inside and the point I wanted I wanted him to try to bike back up the hill and so he got really emotional and he said just let me try one more I said you can try one more time but I'm not kidding I'm this is the last time or you're going inside and so he bikes down the hill and he's literally crying and as he and I know this sounds like child abuse. But he swings himself around the edge of the driveway and starts to come back up the road. And I said, pedal, John, pedal, 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 pedal. And he gets to the top. I'm like, good job. Awesome, John. And he just, the, the tear, he's wiping the tears. He's like, oh, my goodness. And he, like, he drops the bike and he runs to me and he hugs me. And all I did was good job. I'm this, I'm this pathetic, frail human being. Can you imagine standing before God on judgment? He says, in front of billions of faces, and he says, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you the ruler of many. Enter into my joy. Guys, can you imagine that? The little bit of joy. It was like a slice of heaven on earth, just being able to, just seeing the joy. And yeah, there was, there was a trial. He had to go through a simple, he had to pedal up the hill. He didn't want to do it. He didn't think he could do it. But I, I'm right there. I'm telling him, you can do it. And guys, you knew. I, I, I'm sure you know. If he started, I would have caught him. I'm not going to let him get hurt, right? And in the same way, your father is with you. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And behold, think of this, consider this, don't lose this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we can, we can glory in that. This doesn't fade away, right? You want to lose your life for Jesus, that your capacity to enjoy him just grows exponentially all the time. So that you're, because you're, every, I have a beautiful wife. I have four kids. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I have another one on the way. And I love her so much, but guys, she can't be my God, right? She, it's an amazing relationship I have with her, but I, I'm only able to enjoy her the way I do because I worship Jesus. I cling to Jesus. 
And one day, I pray, he's, he's gonna, those words will be said to me, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Peter. We think of the testimony of Peter. We think of your grace. Lord, we think of your friend who betrayed you three times, Lord. He denied that he even knew you. You locked eyes with him. I can't even imagine the tears. Lord, I think of the times that I betrayed you. Lord, yet you restored him because you love him. And you've called us, Lord, to just to love those whom are yours, to feed those whom are yours, to take care of your blood-bought possession that you shed your blood for. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit. We know you're faithful to give it out. You're faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And at the same time, you promised us, Lord, that you come and make your home with us, Lord. Help us to obey everything you've said, that we might enjoy you more in this life and exponentially in the life to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.